Hello and welcome to the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. A work so completely devoid of wit, style, intelligence or basic entertainment value that it makes the movie based on the Angry Birds app seem like a pure artistic statement by comparison. Not my words, but the words of RogerEbert.com on the Emoji Movie Express Yourself. (laughs) Welcome to the new intro to every podcast we do from now on, which is me reading off any number of terrible lines from terrible reviews of the Emoji Movie Express Yourself. When you started reading that, I thought somebody had just written on your (laughs) Tinder profile. (laughs) Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this, the news and reviews episode of the Dinosaur Man Nerdcast, where indeed we talk news and reviews. Good stuff. Indeed. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. Did you enjoy your summer jollies? I enjoyed my jollies. I can't remember what I said about you on my last podcast. I don't know. It was a historic podcast, an historic podcast, mm-hmm. because it's and before any word beginning with a vowel or an H, weirdly. Okay. Did you know that rule? No. So, normally it's A something, okay. but if the if the next word begins with a vowel, or weirdly, just an H, any, any vowel... Or an H. No other letters. And, what did you think? And how is this relevant? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was interesting to know. Also, that's definitely just the word and before. In, instead of and. <laughs> and before and, except <laughs> after and. Uh, yeah, well, I just thought it was quite interesting that we should educate listeners as well as inform. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. A frozen... I'm frozen because I've run out of information now. Uh, so yeah, um, Andy is back from his summer jollies, as you can hear from mm-hmm. the fact that I'm tormenting him with a terrible opening to a podcast. Uh, so alright, we got loads of time on our cycle this month. We haven't used it. Thank you to Paul Hudson for filling in as well. Yeah, he did an alright job. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, you know. He's fine. He's not you, but you know, he's good. He's no, my brother. No one I've got to say, he's good. Least, but he's your brother. He knows that. Um, yeah, so of course you can, I don't think we ended up plugging his podcast at the end. We did it at the beginning, but not very well. Um, it's, uh, the from God knows where podcast. But he should did. we get back to normal service now that I'm here? I mean, I feel like after that review of the Emoji movie, what is normal service? <laughs> but yeah, sure. Let's talk news. Okay. Where do you want to start today? Let's talk with, uh, live from Satellite Link Up. Let's talk with, uh, Gal Gadot. No. Uh, let's talk about Wonder Woman though. Okay. So Wonder Woman... Is continuing to make money. Worldwide box office greater than Deadpool's now. Which is which is great news. Good news. Um, Not that Deadpool deserves to be beaten, you know, but it's good. So, you know, we're You know, it continues to make money and obviously goes against that whole thing of nobody wants to see female superheroes or films directed by female directors. So. Or DCEU movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's great. Um, yeah. But then, apparently, what is happening now is... Wonder Woman is being lined up by Warner Brothers to go have a run at the Best Picture Oscar. Yeah. Uh, and potentially Best Director, is that right? Uh, best Director and Best Picture are the two they're lining up for. Now, when I first heard this, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. That's, you know, that's nice of them. But then I do realise, hang on, Warner Brothers are the same studio that have just brought us Dunkirk, which mm-hmm. we will be discussing later today. If they're going to prioritise Wonder Woman over Dunkirk, that would be a grave mistake in It'd my eyes. It would be a huge eyes. misstep. I don't know if they will prioritise it. I don't know if they'll pit them against each other. If they pit them against each other, I imagine Dunkirk would get the nod on uh, in terms of... Mm-hmm. if it, 
I mean, if they get both nominated, then great. But I would say that the one you prioritise is Dunkirk. Would I think you, it is the better film. Would you say Wonder Woman is... Say you haven't seen Dunkirk, for yeah. example, um, or you've not seen any of the movies this year. Would you say Wonder Woman is... I've a, not seen Oscar, any movies this year. <laughs> is an Oscar-winning like, a Best Picture movie? Um... Or do you think it's because of the no, situation I, it's in? I do feel like they've they've sort of got caught up in the um, the good press surrounding it. Not that not that it's necessarily overhyped, because okay. I do believe that the hype is justified. I think it is a good movie. I think this seems like maybe too much, uh, mm. but other than that, you know, it is a good film, a well made film. But I would never describe it as an Oscar worthy film. I wouldn't describe it as an Oscar contender, even if I hadn't seen any of the Oscar, mm-hmm. the ones that I would say would be Oscar contenders. So it's it's interesting because now we're coming into that season, actually, yeah. particularly over here in the UK, we're we're now getting some of the big hitters that we think will probably be ending up in contention. So Dunkirk mm-hmm. will, you know, even for technical categories, you should think it would be nominated pretty much across the board for some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but then in a couple of uh, in about a month's time we've got Detroit coming in, so that's going to be one that will be interesting to see when that. The end of this month we get Valerian, the city of a thousand corpses. The, the end of this month, it's out tomorrow. Oh, oh my bad. It's out tomorrow. Why do you think I booked us in tomorrow night? No, I haven't. <laughs> but uh, no, sorry, out today. Out today. This is a Wednesday episode. It's out today. There we go. I might have already seen it by this point. <laughs> um, but you know. Also to the point of, do you think Wonder Woman is the best comic book movie no. in returns of no. best picture? No. No, Logan. It'd Logan. be Logan, Logan. wouldn't it? Like, if there was one this year, it would be Logan. Now, if I'm... Fox don't push Logan, I don't know what's wrong with the world, because Fox have literally got nothing else going on. Oh, no, they're, they're trying to sneak X-Men Apocalypse back in this. They're probably, trying this to, they're probably sneak bloody uh, Alien Covenant in for best picture. Oh, <laughs> Christ. Anyway, don't worry about it. I don't think... I, well, I don't think it will happen. I can understand why they would want to push it, but I think mm. that perhaps they've just got caught up in that. Do you think it's a case of they've seen what people are saying about it, and obviously, I a, think that a lot of the academy of who are like movie watchers will see it and go, "Actually, this is a good thing for female-led, female-directed movies," and hoping that will push it over the line. It might feel like if it does get nominated, it's purely there to validate that. It's a bit like um, was it Crash? Ugh, which was crap. basically it won because of what it was, it, yeah, not because of the film it was. Yeah, and like, there are than... there are other examples of people saying, "Oh well, certain films won Oscars which didn't deserve to win Oscars because of the subject matter they were dealing with." People accused Moonlight of doing so this year. People accused um, Spotlight of doing so last year. Mm. But I don't think that that holds credence in either of those two cases. I do believe those are probably the best movies of those respective years. Mm-hmm. Now, I I don't know. I would be interested to see if it gets up there. I, I mean, if it gets up there, it won't win. I can guarantee that. It, it's, not an, it's not a best picture winner. It would be interesting to see if it does get nominated, but I, I don't hold too much hope for that happening, to be honest. If we're talking films that may get... Oscar nominations. Mm. I don't know if this will or not. You can tell me your thoughts. Suburbicon. Okay, so Suburbicon's the um, the new George Clooney film uh, starring Matt Damon, Oscar Isaac and Julianne Moore. Uh, co-written by uh, the Coen brothers along with um, George Clooney and someone else. And I can't remember who it is off the top of my it's head. Me. 
But it looks... The trailer's been released this week, basically, mm-hmm. and it looks quite interesting. It certainly has a great deal of the Coen brothers about it. Um, as soon as I saw the trailer, I watched it, and I thought, this reminds me very much of a Coen brothers film, and then the name came up at the end, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's why. It, it's, it's got that sort of capery style to it. Mm. Um, sort of uh, that off that offbeat sort of weird black humour that sort of runs rife throughout things like Fargo, and then even up to things like uh, A Serious Man... Um, it it could be their you know their comeback after because I think we are both I mean you hated Hail Caesar <laughs> I found it a tremendous disappointment to myself mm-hmm. uh, to it and I think it could be a great comeback for them because previous to that they'd done the script for um, Bridge of Spies which yeah. is of course Oscar nominated and potentially Oscar winning I can't remember but it was, it was certainly nominated for best uh, best adapted screenplay. Adapted? Yeah, I think. Original? Some kind of screenplay. A screenplay. Either way. It looks interesting. I think it will be one that garners some recognition come award season, whether it's in nominations or wins. We'll see soon. Uh, I think it's released in October, November time. So... It could be, uh, you know, it could be great. I, th- I think George Clooney is a really good director, actually. I think if you, um, his debut uh, was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which starred Sam Rockwell, um, which is about the real life story of Chuck Barris, who was a guy who created a load of um, game show formats, hmm. but also claimed that he lived a second life as a CIA, uh, CIA agent. If you haven't seen it, go out and watch it. It is great. Uh, in fact, Chuck Barris, I believe, died this year. Um, so there was a there was a bunch of sort of... I think it got shown again in the week after his death. Uh, do check it out. It's a tremendous performance from Sam Rockwell, as always, let's be honest. Sam Rockwell doesn't really disappoint. But again, you've got three people... I think in, that's what excites me about Three people in Suburbicon who I will watch in pretty much anything. In Julianne Moore, Oscar Isaac and Matt Damon, I think... I, I think it's got a good chance of being nominated for a few of the prestige categories, mm. certainly. Um, should we get to Bond? Yeah, so a lot of information has dropped regarding uh, James Bond 25, including a rumoured title of Shatterhand, which is actually the name of one of the more recent Bond novels, I believe. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it'll be an adaptation of that is yet to be seen. It might just be that they've used the name. It might not be called Shatterhand at all, you know. Yeah. There's so much that's subject to change. The The feeling at the moment is that Daniel Craig is coming back for this one and that it'll be his last appearance mm-hmm. because I can't see him getting another one out after this. So, again, that opens up that whole debate of who will step up to replace him afterwards. But that's a problem for another time. We've got a release date already, which is the 8th of November 2019. So they've got two okay. years to get it done. Um, three directors are currently the front runners. Um it's it's quite an interesting mix actually. So you've got um you've got Jan de Monge, who uh did seventy one in two thousand and fourteen, I wanna say. Mm. Uh which starred Jack O'Connell. It was about a soldier basically on the run uh overnight in Northern Ireland in during the Troubles. And it was a really well directed thriller, really really great pacing, really emotional connection with yeah. uh, with a bunch of characters in it um, and actually a really well constructed debut and in fact I think he won Best Director at the British Indefe- Independent Film Awards for it 
the other two directors who are in, who are in the running supposedly are Denis Villeneuve, who mm. of course did Arrival last year, has got Blade Runner twenty forty nine uh, in about two three months time, okay. and is now directing an adapt a new adaptation of Dune. Dune, which means that he is busy. Mm-hmm. I would I would say that he's the least likely of the three. Okay. The only other one that's that's currently seeming to have any credence is David McKenzie, who did Hell or High Water. Uh, again, it feels like perhaps because those two were at the you know they were at the Oscar both not both nominated for Best Picture last year. Yeah, and we we love both of those films. You yeah, know, yeah. we really like them both, uh, and they are clearly talented directors. It will be interesting to see who gets it. I think Jan de Monge would make a great job of it, and actually, I would. I would like to see someone who hasn't done a huge amount of stuff take on something like that and put their own stamp on it. Well, wasn't there a thing the other week about um, Christopher Nolan said he would do one, but only if he could do something different with it? Like well, Christopher put his own twist on. It. Christopher Nolan has apparently held many discussions with the producers of the Bond series mm. over the years and said, you know, of course I would love to do it. It's a property that means a tremendous amount to me, and I'm always interested to see what they do with it. But I don't think I would. I don't think he would uh, go for it at the moment. I think he's just come off the back of Dunkirk. I think he wants to line up something else. And you know what? I do. I, I like what he was able to do, as as we discussed on the Sunday episode with Paul. I like what he's able to do with pre-existing franchises, be they you know Batman or whatever. But also, I prefer his original idea. I, I do really love those films as well and I think I'd like to see him do something completely separate and different again I hear what you're saying Adam Sandler director's Netflix Bond <laughs> okay well that's one way to look at it uh, the do-over already happened <laughs> so that's basically it for now I mean we don't really know a huge amount about it and I'm sure we'll get more information in the coming months but potentially Shatterhand 8th of November and potentially Daniel Craig will look like he wants to be there this time yeah, I mean, look, Spectre was no one's favourite Bond film. That's a fact. I've checked. Happy <laughs> man. About literally everybody. Um, but, but the other thing is they're trying to get Adele back to do the theme tune for um, whatever this one's going to be called. Yeah. Because Sam Smith's was instantly forgettable. <laughs> give me give me 25 years, I couldn't, I I couldn't sing you the I lyrics. I didn't mind it. Really? I didn't mind it. But after after Skyfall, that's, like, that's it's not it's, as... Ask what it's called. What's it called? I've no idea. <laughs> okay, fine. But you didn't <laughs> mind it. You didn't mind it at yeah. all. Yeah, I don't think it deserved to win this. Sky, Skyfall was great, though, right? Oh, yeah. Skyfall was great. Yeah. Obviously, Chris Cornell, um, Casino You know my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's much better. Okay, well, you know... And we all know that. <laughs> well, we all disagree on certain things. As good as Chris Cornell's... June was, I think. The best, though, is still GoldenEye or New Twinkle. I tell you what, Tina Turner's got a set of pipes on her, hasn't she? Wow. Oh, what was the. Um... View to a Kill, the Duran Duran one. Yes. What was the other one? Um, license, was it License to Kill had. Um... Oh, who was it? He did the tune for License to Kill. Was it Carly Simon? I don't know. Maybe not that night, not the one thinking of. Live and Let Die? <laughs> You're thinking of Paul McCartney and Wings? <laughs> it doesn't matter. View to a Kill was Duran Duran, wasn't it? Or was it Aha? Um, no, Aha was a Living Daylight. That's what I'm thinking of, Living Daylights. That's not that's... a good... No. I, I love the Living Daylights as a film. I think that is probably one of the worst Bond themes ever. <laughs> that's basically 
bad. It is, it is classic aha in the sense that they did take on me and they went, what can we do next? And they went, a Bond theme. Not well, though. Not well. It's one of the worst, it has to be said. Anyway, we'll stop getting bogged down in all this nonsense. Um, so we've seen two movies this week. Well, actually last week, but you, you went on your jollies before we could... Uh, jolly bobs. Before we could record a couple of reviews. Um, so a new release on... We'll do... Uh, no, you know what? We'll do Dunkirk first, things yeah, we've talked about before. Um, so, like we said earlier, you know, Dunkirk will expect to be one of the contenders come award season, and this is why. I loved it. <laughs> and that is all it takes. No, it's... Right, next film. Okay, so Dunkirk is the real-life, well, real-life story, you know, it's the, mm-hmm. it's the adaptation of that real-life event, um, sort of one of the most famous sort of evacuations in, in military history. history. Yeah. Um, and about the sort of, you know, they always refer to it now as the Dunkirk spirit. It's that sort of feeling of everyone pitching in to, mm-hmm. to do something that's ultimately more important than any single-minded goal. So um, Christopher Nolan decided that this is a story that hasn't been told in recent memory and needed to be brought to a mainstream audience and said, you know, Warner Brothers, let me do it. And they said, yes. Hey, you're Christopher Nolan, yeah. Because sure. he said, you know, the quote he uses is that it's a British story that requires an American budget because yeah. you can't do this on £10 million. So... He went out and he created one of the biggest war movies ever in terms of the scale of the thing and the amount of um, resources used. Um, so it tells the story of the evacuation from three different perspectives uh, across three different time spans as well. Yeah. So you've got the actual, the sort of land stuff, which takes place over the course of a week. Mm-hmm. You've got uh as boats uh well the boats but particularly focused on one boat uh which takes course over the space of one day and then the planes the raf which takes place over the course of an hour so you have these intertwining uh narratives that intersect at different points and at certain points you see something that is yet to happen in the other stories but you see it from one perspective and then you get to see it from the second and the third now, I, I know that that's drawn some flack from certain people. Some people have said that they found that hard to follow. But I think that is what makes this movie work. I think it was hard to follow at first when I wasn't really sure what was happening. Right. But as soon as I worked out what was happening, mm. and as soon as I realised the beauty in what he was doing, mm. and giving you those kind of little nuggets of, here's something to expect going forward, yeah. I thought it was masterful, really. Yeah. I thought it was really... It's, I can't remember who said it, but somebody told me said the beautiful thing about Nolan is he doesn't think his audience are idiots, mm-hmm. and he doesn't treat them like idiots. No, and he never has. And I think the the key of this film is is that time frame. Actually, I think that that's that's what makes this film work in the way that it does. I think you could you could tell this story in a in a much more linear fashion, but actually it would be less I think engaging. It a bit much. Because if you... Well, I think it would be harder fashion, to follow. Well, if it was a linear fashion, you would get the beach stuff, then you would get the boat stuff, and then you get the plane stuff. Yeah. Now, we saw this in IMAX, and the plane stuff is fairly loud. Everything's loud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything's the loud. I think the plane stuff is even louder yeah, yeah, yeah. than everything else. True. And I think it would become a bit much if it was this constant plane... Because you'd have to stick that to get all the stuff that they did with the planes yeah. in there. Um, so I think it actually works better spacing that out. Or what you'd end up getting is... 
a chunk of plane and then loads of space either side where there's absolutely no plane. Mm. So you would get the the, impl- the impact of the planes during maybe a 20-minute section, 30-minute section, but then for the rest of the film, there would be no appearance of the plane, seeing as that's sort of the way that the thing falls. And the way I like it is the fact that it goes, it cuts from and back to. So you, you know, you're back with the plane when you don't expect to be because you've already seen something from a different perspective yeah. for a couple of days even. I think the performances pretty much across the board are really on point. I think they're really strong. Yeah, and the thing is nobody, like, when you look at this cast, you go, that's such a magnificent cast, but nobody really, and it's as well, nobody really stands out. No one's the star. No one overshadows anyone else. You know, you've got Tom Hardy acting with his eyes for, like, most of this film, um, which is is incredible, you know. Um, You've got Kenneth Branagh has... Kind of limited screen time. Yeah. Um, Cillian Murphy, like Michael Caine's in this film, and unless you know he's in this film, you, you would yeah, never know. Yeah, you would never know. So it's one of these films that I think he's assembled the cast really well, and he's used the the larger name actors in minor roles. But even for fact that um, right, Harry Styles is in this, mm. obviously that was a big controversial casting because people are like he's a pop star. Why are you casting him? Are you casting him just to get people through the doors. But actually, I think he has one of the best moments in the film mm. for me, um, and absolutely nails it. Yeah, like really does, and I think I th- it kind of justifies Nolan's approach to casting the right person for the right part. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I think it's a really strong debut from Harry Styles. I wouldn't be surprised if he never does anything again. Well, he's, he's already said he's yeah. not really interested in anything more. But I, I think that it's a great performance. I think it sort of it justifies and it validates that bit of casting. You know, there was a lot of backlash mm. about it when it happened because people just thought, oh, well, he's only got this because he's One Direction. But I think, you know, he's clearly got a vision for what this character's going to be and he's cast the right person for it and Harry Styles was able to take it up and go, oh, okay, this and is what I can do with it. He's got one of the best... Because it's at times like a silent movie, this film. And we'll go yeah. on to the sound of it all in a minute. But uh, the one bit of dialogue that really, really worked for me was his bit um, yeah. on the boat, which, yeah. if you've seen the film, you'll know the bit I'm on about. Um, and I thought he absolutely nailed it. And that's the thing. Dialogue is so spe- scarcely used in this film, but yeah. the bits that you do get mean more. There are whole chunks of silence. Uh, well, not silent, but dialogue-free, because it's never silent. Mm. And that's that's the beauty of the film, because you never really get to escape the fact that this is a real situation, yeah. the fact that this really happened and was overwhelming. And I, I think that's that was the beauty of... Particularly seeing it in IMAX, I think, really helped. Um, yeah, and I, I would recommend anyone to see If you've seen this, try to see if, it. If you've only seen it... If yes, you, it's probably if, it's worth it. If you're able to see it in IMAX, do go and see it in IMAX. Because the, if ever there was a film that that lends itself to that, that method of delivery, it's this. Mm. I, I genuinely believe that... There is not a filmmaker out there at the moment who can rival Christopher Nolan's understanding and um, knowledge of how to use IMAX effectively to create... You know, even in his previous films, we've seen him doing bits and pieces with it and Mm -hmm. over time has got more and more... This is the film that sort of makes everything work in that form. And obviously it's led to IMAX rethinking their policy about 2D films and trying to maybe put more in cinemas. Yeah. It's done so well, but yeah, like you said, the sound is inescapable at times. Um, 
and I know this draws criticism from some people because obviously we saw it with people who didn't like it the fact that it was continuous yeah um, but for me it really really worked because from the first moment of this film the score is going and the score does not stop yeah. and the effects are loud like gunshots are loud they go through you mm. the first time you see a spitfire literally tore through me yeah um, that sound and you know I could feel it kind of tearing through me and mm. that and it was quite quite a lot to take in. Yeah. But then there's a moment of silence. And when that silence hits, that's when you realise how, how loud ama- it's been. And how amazing yeah. it's been. Yeah. How amazing the score is. And I know um, that people are saying, you know, it kind of feels like while that score's ongoing, you never really have any ebb or flow. But I, I believe you did. I think you got some real nuance in that score. Yeah. And I, I think currently... I think Hans Zimmer's probably got the best shout to win an Oscar. Yeah, certainly, for, and I think for this, I think or they... any kind of industry award because I think the much like we said with Baby Driver and things like that, the film relies on the score that's underneath it. Yeah, and I think this one actually does rely on you. I think never more so have you seen um, the collaboration between those two really working like it does with this. I think. You know, this is the strongest work they've done together, and that's not that's not saying uh, that's not saying enough because their previous work together has been extensive, and mm. they've worked together on the Batman films, they've worked together on Interstellar, on Inception. You know, they've got a long and storied history of creating really powerful scores to go alongside these movies. But here feels like the 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 one where you say, well, that that score is a character in the movie in itself. Yeah. And becomes so integral to making that film work. And it it does sound like we're sort of overloading praise on this, it, but I do I do believe that that is a really tremendous score. And the score just helps been build the tension that you feel throughout this film because this film is tense. Like the whole time, it's just winding and winding and winding mm. until you get to a point where you're there. Like I don't know how much more of this I can take because I yeah. don't know what's going to happen. And even though you've seen things and you're there. Um, you still get really tense and right until the end is the first time you get any sort of release. Yeah. Um, and you know, it is such a big, especially for us, like especially for us in, in Britain, it is such a kind of fantastical tale yeah. of a terrible, horrid time. You know, four, what is it? 400,000 men were surrounded on all sides. Um, and we managed to get 300,000 back. That's the story that you get told about the war. And it still seems unbelievable. Yeah. So to see something that magnificent put on screen is is remarkable. Um, and if we talk about a couple of the criticisms of this, then, yeah, uh, because you know, obviously we really liked it. But I'd like to get your opinion on a couple of them. So one of them, for example, is a lot of people say Nolan is quite clinical, mm-hmm. and you don't really get that much um, from his characters because he's very kind of cut and dry. Of yeah, this is how this is put together, and it. You don't really get a lot of heart from what he's put together. What are your feelings towards that? Then? Well, in terms of this film, I would say that this is the first film where he isn't clinical and where he isn't a cold filmmaker. Mm. I think at times you could level that against him in previous efforts. I think he may always have justifications for why that's been the case. But I think that would be something you could... I don't think you can level that against Dunkirk. I think he's got the human stories there and I think he understands how he wants to tell them. And they do mean something to you. And for the, you know, for the first time, you might be looking at a Nolan film and going, oh, okay, every single person who you've set up in this film 
has something going for them without the unnecessary addition of, you know, cutting back to the family back at home mm. or the girlfriend back at home was waiting for their man to come back to the shore. You know, the the classic tropes that war films often fall into that, for me, don't work because I just find them too cynical and too sort of schmaltzy. You don't have that because yeah. he understands that the real story here is the evacuation itself and the people who were involved in it. Not necessarily the people back home who were rooting for it, but the people who were there, the people who were engaging in that. So for me, I would say this is, this is if you want a Nolan film that doesn't have a cold and clinical edge to it, this is it. And I don't, I, I can't understand it if anyone would say these characters don't mean anything. The other one I've heard is um, that it feels very, what's the word I'm looking for? It seems very sparse. Mm. Um, the, the scale of it doesn't seem as big as what is being described. So, for example, when you see the beach, you see a lot of empty space on the beach, despite mm. there being so many people there. When you see the boats, it's just a handful of boats you see, despite you knowing for a fact there must be more boats. Yeah. Um, and they say the scale. And I think this comes from a problem of the fact that when you think of war films, sometimes you think back to stuff like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Or is it Atonement that has the one-shot beach scene at the beginning? Yeah, you know, there's big those, war horses got one in it as those well. Big scale, those big scale war scenes. Yeah, um, and I think because people think back on those, this one can look fairly narrow. But what what do you think towards that? Well, I think it it's something that you have to judge on a case by case basis. I'd say. I mean, I think with Saving Private Ryan, that opening is one of the sort of the the, mo- the most memorable openings of cinema. You know, that, that scene is tremendous. However, it fits with that film. I don't think you want a scene where you've got so much frenetic stuff going on in this film, because I think Nolan is there going, right, well, I'm telling this story, and this story is not is not needing to be sort of muddied up with anything else. I think the fact you've got the three elements as it is, the land, the sea, and the air... Mm. I think he understands that he's got enough going on there. And, you know, you've got that big expanse of open sand. But you could argue that that's him showing the isolation of these soldiers. You could argue that there's something a little bit deeper going on there. I'm not going to answer for him, but that's how Mm -hmm. I would read it. So I think it's interesting, and I don't think it's necessarily something that I would bat away and say it's not a problem it could be a problem for certain people for me it wasn't because i read into it a certain way i think for me you i i wouldn't have wanted it to be chaotic any more than it already is because you have got scenes of very intense uh sort of pressure yeah that do build up and i found that enough i i found that enough for me i can understand that people might want a beach swarming with bodies and you know blood, guts and gore everywhere, because that's the other thing, you know, it being a 12A means that it doesn't have the blood, but he doesn't need to show the blood. Also, I'm really happy that it's a 12A, mm. because by being a 12A, it means you can take a younger audience yeah. to see this, and I genuinely think this is a film that should be seen by as many people as possible, because not only is it incredibly well made, mm. but also it's a great story of, like, there has been no better story of hope mm. this year. 
I would argue that you probably wouldn't want to take kids of certain ages to it. I think it may become too much for them. Mm-hmm. I, I understand it's a short film in the sense that it's just about two hours long. Yeah. But I would say that you don't want to be taking kids of sort of five or six along mm. to it necessarily. <laughs> but certainly, you know, eight and up maybe. That's the thing, because nephew, twelve, eight. My nephew's eight, mm. and I know my brother has been in, talking to him a lot about like world wars and stuff like that. And you know, how he's really interested in history. Mm. I think this is a great film to take him to because I think he would actually appreciate what is happening. Yeah. Um, and you know, it is a good learning thing. He will come out with questions about what was happening as well, yeah. which would be really a really nice experience. And I know um, a lot of people have taken children to see this, which, mm. which for a war film, you know, it, it's great to not have to rely on that ho- horror of war. Yeah. Um, and I know I spoke before about how I believe war films should show the true horror of what a war situation is, but I think this is more a film of survival and hope. Mm. Um, and I think that's where it really lies, and that's where I think flies. I think the thing is, you can always be visceral without showing viscera. I think you can always have that feeling of horror, and you know, there are moments in this film that are hard to watch. Absolutely, there's there's a really nice one right near the beginning where you see the bombs drop, dropping on the beach, yeah, and it comes towards the camera, which is really nice. But I think the the worst one is the soldier walking out to sea mm, yeah and you, you realise that some of these soldiers thought there was no hope left yeah um, I don't know how long we've been going on well we'll, we'll move but, on to our other one which but, is slightly more upbeat yeah, but uh, to cover it all basically I think I think it's an incredible cinema experience and if you can see it while it's in the cinema especially in IMAX I know IMAX it. isn't accessible for a lot no, of people because you IMAX, don't necessarily have one nearby also, IMAX is expensive yeah it, it really is um, but I would say Go and see it in that if you can. If not, if you, make sure yeah, you go if, see it on the big screen. If you it have, deserves the big screen. Yeah, if you have the means to see it in IMAX, do so. Do yeah. so. If you can't, for whatever reason, don't worry about it. As long as you see it at the cinema, I do genuinely believe this is one of the real treats of the the cinema this year. I think Absolutely. We've, we've seen a. Now, this is what I want to say about it: is that if this isn't the film that gets Christopher Nolan nominated for best director, I don't know what will. I, I genuinely think this is going to be nominated for a whole expanse of categories. Mm. The only ones you might not get is performance categories, but then you might get Mark Rylance for Best Supporting. Who is terrific. But uh, Mark Rylance is normally always Yeah, everyone, everyone in this film stand, stands as a great performance, but none greater than any others. But, I, you know, I think you will see it nominated for Best Picture. I think it will be nominated for Best Director, I would hope. Yeah. I, I just I I feel there's a great injustice in the world that he's never been nominated for best director and yeah. that this has to be it. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so something a little bit different, uh, and, some, and certainly something a little bit different in terms of the genre that it plays in. Um, mm-hmm. So the Big Sick is the latest romantic comedy from Judd Apatow, mm-hmm. who of course brought us Knocked Up, Forty Year Old Virgin, um, all the other. What you would consider the Apatowerverse. Yeah. I think that's a word, but maybe not. I've just invented it. So, um, it stars Kumail Nanjiani and Zoe Kazan. It's based on the true life story of Kumail Nanjiani and his now wife, Emily Gordon, who co-wrote the screenplay with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a rom-com not really like any other you've seen, certainly in a long time, if at all, ever. No. Yeah. Uh, because it's genuinely funny. 
<laughs> yeah, which is rare for a rom-com. <laughs> no, it is funny and uh, poignant and quite heartbreaking at times. You know, there there were times where I was close to tears, but then again, it's the cinema. When aren't I? <laughs> um, and it's it tells the the true life story of him meeting his his now wife, then you know hopeful girlfriend, mm-hmm. and then her being induced into a medically uh, medically induced coma because of an illness she had. So. You get to see the two sides to this romance. The the side where they're both together and you get the sort of quirky meeting and talking to each other and, you know, doing the whole bar conversation and things like that. And the awkward sort of bringing home on the first night to your apartment where it's like, yeah. oh, my housemate will be on the sofa. Don't engage with him. Don't make <laughs> eye contact. Just walk straight through. Um, but it's it's one of those things that then also shows you the flip side of that and the tribulations that a relationship goes through in a way that never before in an Apatow production have you really felt the tribulations of any of those relationships because they've always got one of his boys, one of his guys with someone Mm. and you never quite feel that that's a real relationship because you always feel like, well, no, because I don't think anyone would, I don't think anyone would put up with Seth Rogen for that amount of time. (laughs) Whereas this does, because it's written by the people involved, I think, it has that smack of truth to it. What it's also got is a really nice kind of story alongside it, which is a man who really doesn't follow his own religion, dealing with that alongside a very religious family. Yeah, the the cultural significance of of the situation is is really interesting as well, isn't it? You because you've got him from a Pakistani background and arranged marriage being something that has been forced onto him by his mother. Mm. And I think she's wonderful in the film. I think no, I she's... think I think the entire family is wonderful because both families. It's great to see a representation of a that is not family. stereotyped. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it feels true to life, and I've got a lot of friends from that region who, as soon as I saw it, reminded me of the real people I know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a um, kind of forced. It's not. It's not relying on lazy stereotypes. Absolutely. That, that you might see in others. That really benefited, and you're right. The mother, especially, is fantastic. The the whole she's oh, having trem- look oh, who, who just could, look who, who was in the be? area and dropped by. I wonder who that could be. And she brings look who just dropped in. Yeah. yeah, and he's just like, I'm guessing a young single Pakistani woman. They <laughs> <laughs> like just like some of the lines in this are fantastic. But I think it's so well written. Yeah, but yeah, there is this really nice kind of um, ebb and flow to the story as well, mm. um, where you get basically somebody who is trying to save a relationship that he really wants to be in in a situation where he's the only one who can provide any kind of push in that direction. Um, I think, you know, you're looking at it and going, I wish there were more stories being told like this. It's something that you don't get often, but Mm. when you do, it's a real treat because it, you know, it's standing out for me as one of my favorite comedies of the year, just because, but you know, you would hard, you'd be hard pressed to pin it as just a comedy because it's so many different things at the same time. But, you know, I've read interviews with um, with the writers and they've said, you know, in the States, cultural, uh, cross-cultural, intercultural marriage is something that is looked upon with a lot more scepticism and uh, is more problematic over there than it is in most places. They don't seem to be as forward thinking. And it's interesting to see that because you kind of think, this is something that you're, certainly in Britain, you don't feel like it's an issue at the no, moment. No. But there are certain films where where you do get a glimpse of that. And when you do, 
it opens you up because it's not a world that I necessarily have any mm-hmm. knowledge of and it's not a culture that I do have too much of an engagement in on a personal level. So it's always interesting to see the stories and see the films that tell it well and the films that tell it clumsily and lazily. And this certainly isn't one of those. I think it is, it, it's a great example of uh, a rom-com that actually provides big laughs but also allows you time to think about things and examine the situation. It's a rom-com where you are genuinely interested in the romance and want them to be together. Well, you're invested in that relationship because you see that relationship germinating and then you see the after And so naturally as well. And so naturally. And yeah, and obviously get to a point where um, you're actually, like you said, you're invested in it. Um, And also Ray Romano and... And Holly Hunter, Hunter. yeah. Great as Emily's parents. Mm. They they put in some... You know, it, it does feel like... If you've got Ray Romano in your film, he's going to do that Ray Romano thing of being Ray yeah. Romano. And there are a couple of moments where I think he drifts into that. Yeah, and there's a couple of bits that don't ring true. But by and large, his his performance is almost unrecognisable as him. You know, you it, I think it helps that you basically know Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond, yeah. which is so the opposite of what this film is, in the sense that this situation would never... And also his wife would have left him after about four episodes. <laughs> But you do get that impression that he's he's got he's got a performance in him that is really special, and I think he's he's able to convey that most of the time. There are a couple of moments you're right where it doesn't quite ring true, but he's got some of the best lines in the film, and yeah. I won't spoil them. There's a couple in the trailer that are obviously great, but he's got so many in the film. The one in the the one in the canteen at the hospital is probably my, one of my favourite lines. And Kamel's response to it yes. is one of my favourite responses. Like, I didn't hear what even happened for the next like two minutes because of Laughing that so hard. Um, like, it, it, has, it has those big laughs in there, and that's the thing to appreciate. It is a comedy as well. So if you think, oh, maybe I don't want to see a romantic comedy, you can still go for the comedy elements um, as well. So I think there is enough to enjoy for a range of people. And, you know, I think it will appeal to more people, especially... With the Appetone name behind it, it might get a different audience through the door. Well, it's a great story in America that it opened very small initially, um, but actually through word of mouth started getting more and more and actually opened wider. I think in its second or third week, it went (laughs) uh, like a a wide opening of 2,000 cinemas or something. So it's a great example of a film with great word of mouth and great press behind it growing into the box office and actually becoming a real hit. Um, so if if nothing else, I'm hoping it'll encourage more films like this being made and being greenlit. So you know, there's always hope. Um, well, there's the theme of today's episode. Both mm. films revolve around a great amount of hope, and we've liked both of them. <laughs> yeah, we have. Uh, it's been a great week, actually. No, yeah, great. you know, it's great to be able to say that I've liked films. Yeah. So the emoji movie's out uh, two days time. <sighs> I think we can both get away with not seeing it. It briefly joined the 0% Club on Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't know if life is long enough for me to care. If you want us to see the Emoji movie, if you want a review of the Emoji movie... No, 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 because Anthony McCormack will tell me, hello Nemesis, he will tell me to go and see that film just because he hates it. He's hopefully coming in in the next few weeks. Is he? Oh yes, okay, yeah, while we're on our jollies. Because I've got another set of jollies coming up. Yeah, I've got my first set of jollies coming up. Um, but yeah, we're looking to do something kind of interesting while we're away. Um, but we can get a few up, guests so. in, perhaps. So we'll keep you updated on that. But I think that's where we're going to have to leave it today. Yeah, um, a recommendation for both films. Yeah, if you if you find yourself with spare time and spare money to go to the cinema, 
do go and see both of these films. They're absolutely deserving of your money. Which one would you prefer? Like, if you had a choice between the two and you could only go similar to one, what would you say? Because I know you liked both. I did. Uh, it's a, that's a hard question, man. Because um, I think I know which way you'd go. Yeah. But I think I would go the opposite way. I think I'd go with the big sick. I'd go with Dunkirk. You'd go with Dunkirk. Well, there we are. That's why we do the podcast, because we hate each other, really. <laughs> no, um, I think I can understand exactly why you would say it, and you can understand yeah. exactly why I'd say it. Um, but they are both deserving of it, and I think we haven't had a strong week like this in a little while, where we've had two Not really since that week films. we had chips and... Fucking emoji movie. <laughs> fucking tears. trailer release. Chips and tears. <laughs> Anyway, guys, uh, that's where we'll have to leave it. As always, you can rate, comment, subscribe, review, and leave nice comments for us on Buzzsprout, iTunes, and on Stitcher, which is an app that I'm still not fully aware of the <laughs> capabilities of. I think I've got it, but I don't really... I've never gone on... I've subscribed to the podcast, which is weird, because I've already subscribed on iTunes. Because you subscribe to it by being here. Yeah, I subscribe every week with my, uh, my hard-earned time and effort. Uh, <laughs> As always, you can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at DinosaurMan15. You'll catch us uh, at the Hippodrome on the 24th of 12th-tember. Not a real month, because we're not really touring. As ever, the theme tune was done by Johnny Neves. This time, it was sung by Adele. We got her back for that one. So, you know, good stuff. Barbara Broccoli worked hard to make that one work. Andy, thank you for hosting. That's been, been a pleasure. Thank you for being here. And until next time. Don't, still don't see <laughs> chips, actually. Still don't see chips. I really want you just to judge me. Ah. Okay, here's my until next time. Until next time, don't go to the shops because chips is out on DVD and I don't want anyone seeing it. Please don't buy chips. Bye, everybody! Bye.